Listener Production. I just thought that if I chose to react to it in a way that was negative, I would have been lying to myself because I think in my head I had already really wanted the relationship to end. Both of us did. Hi, I'm Jess Rowe and this is the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show, a podcast that skips the small talk and goes big and deep. From love to loss and everything in between, I want to show you a different side of people who seem to have it all together in these raw and honest conversations about the things that matter. I don't know about you, but in this time of social isolation, I really crave connected conversations. So I'm going to dig deep to give you a new window into the souls of the people we're curious to get to know and understand. There might be tears as well as laughter as we celebrate the real life flaws and vulnerabilities make us human. Po Ling Yao is a creative soul. She cooks, paints, and has been a makeup artist and graphic designer. Poe first came to our attention on the first MasterChef Australia show, but there's far more to her than mixing up delicious creations on the telly. I spoke to Poe from her art studio with a giant painting and a bird in the background, so you might hear some bird song in our interview. Hooray! Poe, how exciting. I'm talking to you. You're clearly in your studio. And so we can explain to our listeners, you have the most incredible portrait behind you. Tell us about that beautiful portrait. Oh, yeah. So she's the girl that I paint all the time. Um, So I... Part of my income and career is um, I'm a painter and um, that's what I did before I went on MasterChef. So, yeah, I still um, paint a lot and, yes, she's my girl. I don't really have a name for her. She's just, um, I guess, I use her to tell my stories. So I wonder then if that girl that you paint is possibly called Poe. I don't really like to call her Poe because she takes on lots of different forms she's not I mean she has this distinct look but she can look a bit different and I guess it's almost like I use her as a device to tell my story so she's kind of rather than me she's kind of my she's autobiographical yeah I don't know how else to to put it it's weird another thing that I was reading about you I actually saw it on one of your Instagram stories was this dear photo of you as a very young little girl and you said in that particular caption that you were trapped in a shell of shy. Mm, yeah, very, very shy kid. And then when we came to Australia, I don't know if it got worse. It's just that school is so much more, you know, there's a lot more participation. So I think just the fact that there was so much more focus on the individual and, you know, I felt physically very different. I was never, don't get me wrong, I was never teased at school or anything like that. It was just more a self-imposed kind of feeling of, oh, I, I look and feel really different. But I had that in Malaysia as well. So I think I've always felt a little bit beamed in from somewhere else. I've always felt a little bit on the outer. I think that sort of loneliness is what fuels a lot of the creativity. Mm. So would you describe yourself then when you're a little girl as lonely or just shy? Probably a bit of both. Yeah, I think they both kind of fit into each other. I remember being a teenager, always just, I was quite obsessed with American movies and the notion of being popular 
because I just saw that as such a value, you know, and was just never that kid. I was just always the kind of loner and I wasn't disliked, but I wasn't popular. I was just kind of always on the outskirts. Yeah. But isn't it ironic that now you find yourself in in one of your strings to your bow, you are incredibly (gasps) popular. You were a runner-up in the very first MasterChef and people just adore you. So do you find that bizarre? I do find it bizarre. And maybe it's something that, yeah, you never know. I'm I'm a great believer in, I don't, do, do you believe in fate? Of course, I do. I really do. When I think about what is it that I actually believe in, I don't believe in a God, but I think I believe in a goddess and I believe in a force for good and and a spirit. And I do also believe that things do happen for a reason. Yeah, I do too. So I'm agnostic, which is pretty much what you've described. I think it's, I, I feel like there is a force out there. I felt like I've always felt very protected and guided. Like I've, cause I felt like I've been quite I've kind of missed and magooed my way here. <laughs> so I used to like that like, cartoon. <laughs> yeah. So I've always felt like something's always been um, kind of just pushing me along in the right direction because I've always only done things that I've enjoyed and that's my only guide that I've had. And I always have gone with my gut. And I think it's because I haven't had a lot of friends. I've always had to like kind of rely on a very small group of people that I know and uh, you know, that are very dear to me. And then it's just me. And so, yeah, it is really strange that I've landed here. But having said that, even when I was very shy, there is, I don't know whether it's genetic because my dad was a muso in his heyday. And I don't know whether a bit of that attention-seeking gene... or the love of performing rather has come from him. Cause I did used to jump on the little like poof thing and do a bit of, um, you know, John Denver's country road once in a while. And like, I would do little things like that, but in a very safe environment. So there was something of a performer in me, but I never let it sort of, you know, be revealed at all in any public way. And then in high school, I got into drama because I was trying to overcome my shyness. I just thought this is becoming so debilitating. I need to do something about, be proactive about it. So I took like private speech and drama classes and this kind of love of performing really came out then. But again, it was always very restricted into that. Having said that, I know so many performers, actors and particularly comedians, um, people that work in the entertainment industry that are actually introverts. I think there's something to that. What do you think? I do. I'm with you because I think there's a whole lot of performers, people who get their fuel and their energy from an audience, but that is in a controlled way. But then they are very shy as people. You know, I think about my best friend, Denise Drysdale, and she... She's gorgeous. Yeah, she is. but And she is loves an audience, loves a laugh, is silly, all of that, but take her to a party. She won't come to a party because she doesn't enjoy or want to talk to people. She's sort of almost too shy in that way. And her way of breaking through is, okay, I'll carry around the chicken sandwiches or the sausage Oh, the same. I I love going to the kitchen and helping. I have to have something. And it's the same with even when I'm performing. Like this new role that I've got with um, 
snack masters was just so intimidating to me because if I'm doing something and imparting knowledge or whatever and my hands are busy, I'm totally fine with it. But if I have to just stand there and hold space just standing, oh, that like, that's quite horrifying for me. I think you do it so well though. And like anything, it's sort of practice and that sense of faking it till you make it sometimes. Totally, totally, absolutely. Yeah, that's all I've done. <laughs> but you've done so well. And something else that I find fascinating, and I wasn't aware of this when I was doing some research about you and your amazing career in life, but when you signed up for MasterChef, that you didn't really cook Asian food and it wasn't your thing. Not really, no. And in that first audition, I cooked this dish that the judges hated and they said, what's with this dish? And I was like, I don't know. I just was trying not to be a stereotype. Like I didn't want to be an Asian person cooking an Asian dish. And they're like, why would you go against the flow? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't want to be a stereotype. So anyway, they, I said I was going to cook this dish, which is a dish from my mum's side of the family, a haka dish called abacus beads. It's kind of like a taro gnocchi. And I legged it home, had all the ingredients, and they gave me a second shot. And that's how I got through. It was like 11 o'clock at night when I was racing around my mum's house. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> And I got last so- apron. Hello. Oh, you're back. I'm back. So these are the um, abacus beads. It's made out of fresh yam. That is... Singularly, <laughs> the best dish the we've best. had. Yes. That's the sort of dish that I've really hoped that we'd find in this competition. <laughs> Would I be correct in saying that you said that you almost had a bit of cultural guilt during that time as well? Because for you, you just identified as you, as Po-human, mm. not Po, uh, a, a girl from Malaysia who immigrated with her family. You're, you're just you. Yeah, I was going through this... Um, stage because uh, I was 35 at the time and I food had suddenly I thought oh man this is like the only thing that I feel like I can legitimately hang on to because language is so mangled now like I speak horrible Cantonese which isn't even any of my mother tongues because mum's hakka dad's Hokkien and Cantonese is the only common dialect that they speak and so we got raised with Cantonese but since coming to Australia, there weren't as many migrants when I was a kid, so all my friends were Aussie. So language is gone. The valley, My value system is very Australian, very Aussie, very westernised. And at the time, I was still thinking about having kids. And so I was like, what do I have to hand on if I have kids? Like, And food, I thought it's going to be food because I love food. I have this very easy, authentic connection with it. And I went home to Malaysia for a big family reunion once. I remember watching my grandfather looking completely devoed because um, we, all the grandkids can't speak Chinese, so he can't really communicate properly to any of us. But then we got together and just had this meal together and that was the language, you know, that held currency in that regard. So I was like, food is going to be my thing. And so when I, just before I went on MasterChef was when I started to become um, interested in learning these dishes, but it's hard when you're learning from that age if you haven't been observant because that's how you learn the dishes. It's just all by look, feel, um, guesstimate. It's not 
with recipes. And so I had to just learn from scratch again. And that was just scouring through cookbooks and then cooking them for mum and mum being a royal taste tester and her saying, no, 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 you've had got too much turmeric and too little cumin or whatever and adjusting that way. So it's really funny. A lot of my dishes... Um, don't really taste like mums because it's kind of my version of it. And so food became that thing. And I was going through that when I was on MasterChef in that first season. I was unaware as well that previously you went by the name that you were given at birth, which was Sharon. Yes. Um, So... I was given it at birth, but then at age 24, I found out it wasn't on my birth certificate. And my husband, Matt, said, hey, I've always felt really weird calling you Sharon. Why don't you go back to your Chinese name? And I was like, oh, I can't, like not now, because it was just when I'd started painting. And I thought everyone's going to think I'm being so pretentious. And he's like, let's try it, let's try it. And he is a filmmaker and he, we've broken up since, but he won this really a big, short film prize at the time that I acted and did all sorts of things on art direction and stuff like that. And so we got quite a lot of local press at the time. And after that, he said, oh, her name is Poe. And he actually named the film Poling. And then in the credits, Poling paid by Poling. So that's how Poe started. And after that, everyone that knew me from that industry just called me Poe. And then it, he said, let's just do it now. And I was like, okay, let's try it. And then everyone just latched onto it really easily. So that's how that happened. And then I just, um, I ditched Shazza. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely more of a Poe, I think. <laughs> now you mentioned there, Matt, you talk about love and, mm. and I know for you, you've had an intriguing love life. You were married to Matt. You split up, but then he got together with your best friend. Is that right? Yes. I love that because I think it's so grown up. I couldn't imagine being able to do that with any of my exes. We had a very formative time together. So he was 27 and I was 24 and we were in the, we met in the Mormon church. And the reason why we had such a strong friendship was because we found solace in being able to talk philosophically and discuss freely our philosophical issues with being in the church. There weren't many people around that we could do that with. So we used to just have hours and hours of, yeah, conversation about this. And and so we broke out of the church together and then he started film studies and I, he, I encouraged him to do that and then he encouraged me to paint And so we've got this really strong symbiosis, our creativity, that I could never imagine abandoning just because we, our marriage didn't work. And I think having no kids really helps as well. I think that allows that break to be really clean and adult. I think kids are definitely all sorts of instincts I guess, um, come into play that are really difficult to manage when new partners come into play and all that kind of stuff. So I credit some of that to the simplicity of that break, that it's very clean. But also, yeah, I credit so much of the things that um, I do now were from him just pushing me all the time philosophically. He's got quite a bombastic personality that 
um, is also what broke us. <laughs> but it's just, I've learned over time as I've gotten older that life is just full of these paradoxes and that if he hadn't had that sort of personality, I would have just stayed in church and not wanting to upset my parents and probably just ended up doing something quite really sensible, like went into graphic designing instead of visual arts. And when they got together, everyone always asks, oh, you know, how could you not have an issue with that? Matt and I were already in a really not a great spot and we didn't know how to break up. And it was almost like a gift to me. And we were sort of living like almost like housemates for at least three years, not knowing how to manage the situation and, you know, just that obligation to family and their expectations and stuff. I actually was pretty cool with it. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. I just thought that if I chose to react to it in a you know yeah in a way that was negative I would have been lying to myself because I think in my head I had already really wanted the relationship to end both of us did I, I just processed it in a really sensible way I thought I would be hang, pretending to hang on to something that I actually didn't want is how I understood it I think you've explained it in a beautiful way and I, and I think as well you know earlier we spoke about fate and I do mm. believe that Often people come into our lives at certain times when they're meant to. And then they also leave our lives at certain times that, you know, it sounds very much like you and Matt grew up together. He taught you so much, but then it was time for you to go along your direction and he headed off on his direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we've been each other's greatest enablers, I think, as well, because he still writes and we have lots, uh, we've got tons of projects now. And um, I'm about to sort of go into a really interesting time in my career, I think, because I'm starting to want to be back of stage a little bit. And we've got a few projects where I want to enable him now because he's actually my manager as well. So he's really taken my career to a really amazing level, like my TV and film, because um, he only manages me. So He's done that for me for the last few years as well. And now I feel like I want to do that for him. So it's just been this really nice sort of tag team situation. And we talk to each other every day. It's, yeah, it's a really very precious relationship that I have in my life. And one that's changed. And I think for all of us, we almost need to recognise that relationships do change in your life and that's okay. Mm. We don't have to hold on to things that might have served us well in the past when in fact... You don't need to keep staying in that sort of stagnant way of being. I, I think with marriage breakups, if you're willing to allow it transform, it can actually turn into something even more beautiful, I feel, because when you don't have that angst of like obligation, that obligation of having to stay together and make things work, you can actually see the things that were faults in your eye, the things that, things that annoyed you. They become charming again and it's, it's, there's a really nice, it's a really nice feeling of being able to, the feeling of not wanting to change them and um, you can live apart and just see them completely for who they are. And I think also when you've been through so much with someone and you are willing to work have been willing to work through it, it transforms into something that is completely unbreakable. Like nothing can break us. Like we are so volatile to each other all the time <laughs> because we've just got that familiarity and we just know we're like permanent fi- like fixtures in each other's lives. And it, 
allows for such intense honesty to happen um, with our interactions that is completely unique. And you can only have that when you lived within each other's pockets and like destroyed each other and then rebuilt that again. And what about, and I hope you don't mind me asking you about this as well, because I know that you've um, recently um, split up from Jono. Mm. Yes, no, 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 I don't mind at all. Um, so straight after MasterChef, I came home to that, which was a bit tough. But again, I'm so happy for Jono. He's like moved on, got a new partner. And again, we have managed to preserve a really um, lovely friendship and I've even called him for dating advice because I always like to like the truth I'll be like you know that you know that thing that I do how bad is that and he'll be like yeah it's this this and this (laughs) so it's really good for reality checks yeah I really um yeah so again like have two beautiful ex-husbands that I still absolutely adore Oh, and, and again, that is such an evolved way, Poe, I think, of, of looking at it and thinking about it. But and what about your doggies, though? D- did you share the two dogs together? How do you manage that? He was so kind because knowing that I work uh, alone so much, it really broke his heart. And, in fact, he has trouble coming to the house just because there's so much of him here that he left behind that he built with his own hands and also the dogs, but he's got two new little dogs now. So I think he's okay. But um, yeah, he left, he left the doggos to me, which was really, really kind of him. I love getting older. And I know you've said you're creeping towards 50. How do you feel getting older? You've spoken about how there's a part of you that feels sort of almost otherworldly and alien in a way that you, you sit outside and watch. Do you feel like you're still out there or are you becoming more and more sort of into the world, so to speak? Yeah, I think I'm becoming more into the world and, but I am loving it. I love feeling it's taken me so long. And I think it's a scourge that, um, a lot of women suffer from. It's just feeling comfortable in your own skin. I think it's taken me so long to get here. And isn't it, ironic that it's when it's starting to deteriorate that you start to like it you'll you you take take it for granted less and I think that's so freeing I mean I'm open though I have Botox I like to do little bits to make myself feel refreshed but Mm. it's because I make that decision as opposed to feeling that I'm you know society's forcing me to be that particular way no you know that's a really good, good conversation to have I think there's um there's a lot of it that's going really far the other way, but I think there is, I find it really interesting when I do a beauty post on Insta, I get a lot of support for it, but then I'll get this small percentage that speak to me as if that as a, as a close to 50 year old woman, I need them to give me advice on, on how I value myself because I just want to look my best and I shouldn't feel like they're like going the other way. Like they're telling me that, oh, you know, you look perfectly good without makeup. Actually, I don't. (laughs) Can I just say, I really don't look perfectly good without makeup. I don't feel great without makeup. And I think that's completely fine to say that and say that a little bit of it makes you feel better. I think if it makes you feel great about yourself and just gives you that little pep in in your step, I think fantastic. 
Poe, you are fantastic. You make me feel good in terms of being a crap housewife. I love your <laughs> recipes for coconut ice. I have such a sweet tooth. If you could just leave us with what your perhaps favourite dessert is, leave us on a lovely high sweet sugar high. Okay, my favourite dessert, and it's been since I was a kid, is creme caramel. It's just not changed, unflailingly. I love it. I could eat a serving for 12 people myself over the space of a couple of days. Easy. There is nothing wrong with that. Next time <laughs> I'm in Adelaide, I'd love to join you in a cream caramel session, please. <laughs> Absolutely hit me up. I would love to have you as a guest. And I'll actually, you have to come to Jam Face because I'll definitely hook you up. (laughs) Oh, I would love that. Poe, thank you so much, beautiful. Really appreciate your time today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. You're so beautiful to talk to. Thank you, Jess. You know, I have such a sweet tooth, and I just love that idea of sitting down and having cream caramels with Poe. I am there the minute I can get to Adelaide. You know, another thing that struck me about our conversation is how open Poe is. She's so curious about the wider world and the way that she embraced the change of her relationships. You know, for many of us, when a relationship breaks down, it can be life shattering. For her, it was life altering and life enhancing. So I think there is so much that we can learn from the way Poe approaches her life. For more beautiful, big conversations like this, search the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show podcast. And while you're there, I'd love you to follow me. Add me to your favorites because I never, ever want you to miss an episode. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show was presented by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. Audio producer, Nikki Sitch. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter. Listener.